Salutations! Welcome to Pod Mortem. I'm Travis Hunter, joined as always by my co-host, my sister and my brother-in-law. Hi, I'm Renee Hunter Vasquez. Hi, I'm John Paul Vasquez. This week, we're broadcasting live from an abandoned farmhouse in Glen Echo, discussing the 2006 slasher mockumentary, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. This film was directed by Scott Glosserman off a script from Glosserman and David J. Steve. Through satire and referential humor, Behind the Mask offers both a send-up of and reverence for the slasher subgenre of horror. Though it only had a limited release initially, the film has grown a cult following in the years since its release, with rumors of a sequel gestating for over a decade. This film was suggested to us by friend of the show, Will Brown. We want to thank Will so much for his support of the show and this suggestion. So, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. What were your first impressions on the film? I've never seen this movie before. I've never heard of it. I didn't. But in all fairness, when it came out, that was the year I was incarcerated. Ah. So, I mean, I... You get a pass. Right. I'd say that's a great reason. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But this movie was very fun. If you've never seen it, I would highly suggest watching it. It's not the best movie, but it is something that I feel like should be watched, Mm -hmm. like should at least be seen one time. Um, I did have a lot of fun watching it. I do have some issues with it, but I mean, it's not bad. It's really not. I'm glad because this film, I was like, it's going to go one of two ways. (laughs) Well, the thing about JP is that... You're so difficult. (laughs) Yeah, I can never guess. Like films, I'm like, JP's going to love this. Uh, What the fuck was that? (laughs) And then films, I'm like, well, JP's going to hate this. You're like, best film ever made. (laughs) Like, what? Um, You, T, had tried to get me to watch this for years. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what it was about. I feel like if I knew what it was about, I probably would have watched it. But <laughs> the title, I was like, what the fuck? What does that even yeah, mean? It just it sounded so cheesy. It's um, a mouthful. It's a lot. Yeah. But I had seen it the one time with you and then I hadn't seen it again until we, you know, watched it for the right. show. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just so fucking funny <laughs> and smart. Mm-hmm. And for anyone who loves horror, you're like. Oh my god! Like, yeah, this is for me. Like, that's literally what it feels like. It feels like it was made for horror fans. Yes. Oh yeah. By horror fans, mm-hmm. you know, the references are almost like blink and you miss. Like, oh if, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. If you stop paying attention for one second, especially in the beginning, you're gonna miss a reference to something mm-hmm. or someone. Right. And there's a sp- specific few parts that we'll get into that it's yeah. like, they didn't have to be no. <laughs> this good about it. Yeah, no. But they, they did that for us. They could have cheaped out and done something weak, but they're like, no, we know who yeah. this is yeah. for. <laughs> <laughs> and I appreciate it. Oh, yeah. I, of course, as you alluded to, I've loved this movie for years. Mm-hmm. I think I actually saw it for the first time back when, and this will give you some fucking perspective, <laughs> back when Netflix used to mail you movies. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Yes, kids. Yeah. That's true. That I, really happened. You guys remember that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I loved it ever since then. I think my thing about it is that it uses the familiar to say something new. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, because often this film will get compared to Scream, which I get to a point, but yeah. I feel like it's doing its own thing. It is. Would I be even wrong saying that I prefer this over Scream? <laughs> a lot of people do. Okay. A lot of people right. do. I'll I'll have a breakdown at the end. Not a breakdown. <laughs> Are you okay? I've had enough of that this pandemic, but... <laughs> 
I will break down because I I wanted to talk about three satirical movies, right? Including this one, okay. And we'll talk about that towards the end. But all right, all right. I, I wonder if I know the third one. I think it's gonna. Well, I'm gonna bring it up a lot. So, <laughs> but like you said, JP, it's just so fun. It's it is just a genuinely fun movie. I read on horrornews.net they had an interview with Scott Glosserman that this movie was released initially to only 80 screens. Why? The company that was in charge of the release, according to Glosserman, really only wanted to release it so that they could get some quotes for the DVD release. (laughs) (laughs) Well, damn. Yeah. Thanks. So it's like, it's it's funny to me because it seemed like they didn't have any faith in this movie. Clearly. But I feel like if you were to release this to the right audience. Oh, yeah. You know, and they eventually did. Right. On DVD because it found its family. Yeah. But this could have been, I think, much bigger than it was. And I'm just glad that it found its audience since then. Yeah. Um, I was messing around on IMDb earlier. Mm -hmm. And I know at the just to talk about Nathan Basil, the Leslie Vernon. Yes. uh, Very quickly. It says at the beginning, introducing Nathan Basil. And I looked, he works in production for a lot of TV shows. Now? Yeah. Like Married to Medicine, uh, Greatest Catch, shit like that. (laughs) Nothing, not for nothing, but he's amazing. He's magnetic. Like he's fantastic in this. Yeah. I, I was in disbelief. He doesn't even, that's not his thing. Yeah. <laughs> There's You're a speechless. lot of silence. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we throw this film into Ellis Falls, we would like to issue a warning for spoilers. Podmortem is a very in-depth podcast, and in thoroughly discussing horror films, we have no choice but to spoil a thing or two. If you don't wish to be spoiled, please go watch the film, then come back and enjoy the show. If you've already seen the film or don't care about spoilers, let's pick its bones clean. So the film opens with ominous music playing as we see the shot of a girl's sneaker sliding a brick in front of a door to hold it open. The camera pans up and she walks to the dumpster to throw out the trash. We see that it's Kelly Curtis played by Kate Lang Johnson. Obviously assuming Curtis is a reference to For sure. Jamie yeah. Lee Curtis. Yeah. This will be the first of many references yes. <laughs> tonight. Also, I don't know. I I know that I've been a server for too long, but... I had confirmation because she's not wearing tread safes. And no, I was yeah, like, you did say that. Yeah, those are not tread safes, ma'am. Maybe the local restaurant's like, we're not up to stand. <laughs> well, when so. she breaks her neck, then. <laughs> That's on. Then she'll be suing your ass, so. <laughs> I'm looking out for y'all. There you go. But we get a POV shot from the bushes as Kelly heads back to the door for another bag of trash. As she dumps it, we get a shot of what appears to be a man in a mask out of focus in the background, accompanied by a musical sting. As she heads for the door, she appears as though she knows she's being watched, but turns around to see nothing but a garden variety bush. She inspects it for a moment, and the door slams shut behind her. She rushes back inside, and we get the title, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. Classic horror setup scenario. I thought he was in the trash can at first. <laughs> like poking out halfway? Yeah. Well, well, no, I mean like when, when she was going and she turned around uh-huh. and then I was like, was someone in? Oh, I was like, oh shit, he's in the bushes. I was like, all right. I thought, I mean, this is shot like a straight slasher film. It is, Right, yeah. right. I thought it felt like, you know, complete with the cliches, mm-hmm. musical stings. It's not in this context of what we've seen so far, the most attention grabbing opener. No. 
But with what comes later, you're like, this is the smartest shit yeah. they could have oh, done. Yeah. No, like I said, it just feels like, okay, it's a, like, it, yeah. I know this. Like, mm-hmm. this is comfortable. There's nothing. No, mm-hmm. I'm yeah. not being challenged. No. <laughs> <laughs> but we're then treated to a university news broadcast from Taylor Gentry, played by Angela Gothels. I don't know it offhand, but Angela Gothels was apparently the sister in Home Alone. I knew she looked familiar. Is that what it is? Yeah. I also recently watched Spanglish with my kids and she's the sous chef in Spanglish. Really? Uh. (laughs) (laughs) But as she walks down a sidewalk, she welcomes us to Glen Echo, Maryland, a community that she says is representative of thousands of small towns across America. Through B-roll of trees and graveyards, she ponders the possibility that pure evil is set to destroy the peace of the town, as it has to dozens of similar communities over the years. In B-roll shots of snow-covered cabins, Taylor tells us of Jason Voorhees and his killing sprees in Crystal Lake over the past 30 years. This is when my ears prick up. Yes. Because yeah. I'm, I'm like, like wait you're a minute. Ta- this motherfucker's real? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've, I've heard of that. <laughs> But we then switch to a suburban neighborhood in Springwood, Ohio, where she tells us of the horrors perpetrated by a killer so heinous that you can die in your sleep if you dream about him. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. (laughs) We see a man credited as Elm Street resident, played by Kane Hodder. Yes. Standing outside of 1428 Elm Street. He refuses to engage with Taylor when asked about his former neighbor, Frederick. So this is... Jason going right. into Freddie's house, <laughs> yeah. right? I'm loving it. Like <laughs> already, amazing. I'm like, this is the most interesting shit. That's what <laughs> caught me. I was like, okay, so this is real. We're yes. taking it as their real people yeah. mm-hmm. are real. You know what I mean? Incidents that's ha- that have happened. Exactly. I was like, this is. I'm all for it. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, this is all. But lastly, and my favorite, <laughs> <laughs> we're taken to another suburban neighborhood. This time in Haddonfield, Illinois. As Taylor tells us of a man named Michael Myers, who has returned to this town to wreak havoc several times, forever staining the holiday of Halloween for the town's residents. So again, like we've already said, this concept that we're inside of some world where horror icons are not film characters. Yeah. They're fucking real people. It's genius. It's, I'm speechless. No, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like something that would have been done before. Yeah. yeah, but it happened. Oh, yeah. I'm like, it's revolutionary in a way that that's I think that's my issue is this film doesn't get enough credit because I just don't think enough people saw it. Right. Yeah. It's one of those underground things that it's like, have you seen Behind the Mask and people will tell you yes and they love it or they'll tell you I've never what heard of that, that in my yeah. life. Yeah. So like I had never, like I said, yeah. ever until it was recommended. And then I know you've said before that you really liked it. Mm-hmm. So I mean, like I said, at this point, I was like, hell yeah. Like, I'm not, in. yeah. <laughs> but while standing in front of the Rabbit in Red Lounge, Taylor asks, who are these men? How do they do what they do? And what is the connection between those towns and Glen Echo? Rabbit in Red Lounge. I was going to say, does that sound familiar? <laughs> yeah. And it's not even, she's not like, we're out, we're standing outside of the, no, no it's yeah. for you to see. That's what I'm saying. Like, I'm like, that was for me. That was for us. Like, thanks, guys. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we were watching it, and I told your sister, I said, I know that. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But we're now standing in front of a dilapidated house in Glen Echo. Taylor says that according to her contact, this will be where the next incarnation of evil will emerge. Through B-roll shots of an old farm, Taylor explains that 20 years ago, a boy was taken from here by a mob, and they plunged him into a waterfall where he drowned. But... That boy has returned to seek revenge on Glen Echo. 
She says the contact claims to know this because he himself is born of the same evil that drove Voorhees, Myers, and Kruger in their murderous efforts. As we zoom into the front door of the house, Taylor tells us that this man's name is Leslie Vernon. That's a pretty decent urban legend. Yeah, it really is. And then you're kind of expecting like this intimidating, like scary, you know, it's already building up in your head when you're comparing people to fucking. Yeah. yeah. Who the hell are we about to meet? Do I want to meet this dude? (laughs) (laughs) But we cut from that news package style of cinematography to a more documentary style as Taylor seeks confirmation from her crew Todd Best, played by Britton Spellings, and Doug Johnson, played by Ben Pace, making sure that she didn't sound too much like Diane Sawyer. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to tell you straight up, as someone who's done a ton of stand-ups for news packages, your camera operator is your best friend because (laughs) the whole time you're like, I'm just fucking everything up. Like, this is the worst. But I think she did great. I mean, she didn't have news person's cadence. Yeah. Which is great. Because yeah. if she was like, we're here in front of Glenn Echo. <laughs> I'm like, fuck. Can you not yeah, do that? Yeah. I'm done. I quit the movie. We're done. <laughs> but also, I want to say, we don't see much of Todd or Doug no. at all. Yeah. For the first like hour of this film. But I do appreciate that even though we don't see them, like you don't even know what they look like. They do contribute. Oh, yes, yeah. yeah. 100%. Yeah. Very funny. <laughs> it made me think of like uh, HUD in Cloverfield. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I was like, was this done first? You're right. So I'm like. And this was first. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's there's a few things from this film that I'm like, you guys did something here. Yeah, for and sure. People were like let's use that yeah <laughs> nobody saw this movie it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> another interesting note i heard on the actor's commentary but ben pace the actor who plays doug he kept getting his face in the frame so i read that the director had a direction of no pace face to let him know oh. not to do that <laughs> One thing that we'll get to know as well is that the director of photography gave each of the cameraman their own shooting style. So you'll notice that Todd's are kind of like in your face and just whatever. Right. But Doug's are like all at Dutch angles and I, fucking. I yeah. love that. Like, I'm I like, love that. You're giving them character without them even being right. seen. Yes. But anyway, <laughs> they head to the front door of the house and Taylor knocks on it. When they don't get an answer, they peer inside with Todd remarking that Leslie isn't even home. Just then, they notice some branches moving over by the shed and rush over to find nothing but a spider web. I'm not saying the spider web did that, but I am <laughs> saying <laughs> it was there. That's scary enough. Uh, yeah. Wait, let's leave. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor then sees movement on the second floor window of the farmhouse, and they rush back to it. She asks if Todd saw it, and he's like, no, even though his camera <laughs> is the one getting the shot of it. Yeah. But <laughs> Taylor knocks on the door again, introducing herself, saying that they spoke on the phone. Suddenly, we hear a very loud, hey, from a man. (laughs) And the camera just whips around to reveal a laughing Leslie Vernon played by Nathan Basil. Not what I think anybody would have expected. Not at all. And it wasn't like a maniacal, like evil laughter. He's just like, I'm just pulling around. (laughs) Almost like like dad energy, you know? Almost. But Leslie apologizes, saying he was just messing with them and introduces himself. There was something I forgot to mention uh, when we were Mm. talking about the title. We had said it was kind of a mouthful and it was, you know. It is. I read on the horror fandom page for this movie, the original title was just going to be Behind the Mask. Mm -hmm. And then they found out that the next movie in the Hannibal Lecter series was going to be called Behind the Mask. And they Mm. were like, well, we got to change it then. 
And so they changed it behind the mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, to differentiate. Right. And then they were like, ah, never mind. We're going to call our movie Hannibal Rising. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, Rise sounds pretty cool. Yeah, good <laughs> idea. <laughs> they took it from that. Fuckers. <laughs> It's not going to be behind the mask anymore. It's going to yeah. be the, the rise, rise of, of Leslie. <laughs> <laughs> they take the name. <laughs> but they all head inside with Leslie Vernon and get him mic'd up. In the living room, he introduces them to his turtles, Zoe and Church. Church. Yes. I don't know Pet Cemetery 2. Never seen it in my life, but I read that that's the name of the dog in Pet Cemetery 2. Uh, so it's both Pet Cemetery. That's perfect. <laughs> Thought it was pretty cool. But he says that he's terrible with the turtles and that he'll go away for a few days and forget to feed them, but they just won't die. (laughs) He kneels down to their level and remarks that he only keeps pets he can eat. All right. And there's just a really awkward moment. (laughs) I feel like at this point you're like, oh, okay. There's there's the crazy. (laughs) It's weird. But the turtles will make sense later. It then cuts away, though, to Leslie showing off his collection of books, which he calls his pride and joy. Taylor remarks that they're mostly manuals and textbooks, and while Leslie admits that they're kind of boring, he draws their attention to some more exciting fare, which is books about sleight of hand as well as escape tactics of Harry Houdini. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. With excitement, Leslie asks if they'd like to see a magic trick, and he asks Taylor if she has a deck of cards on her. When she says no, Leslie asks Todd, who is like, why would I have a deck of cards on me? (laughs) Leslie tells him to check his front pocket where he finds a deck of cards. And they're all very astonished. Yeah, his mind's like blown. He's like, whoa, yeah, what the fuck? He looks so proud of himself, Leslie does. He's the mind freak. <laughs> <laughs> but he says that there's plenty more where that came from. I did want to note here, Todd's like, that was fucking sweet. Yeah. And, and Taylor's like, hey, whoa. I'm like, why is she scolding yeah. him? I, I, I didn't know if they were trying to show that she's like more... Like I feel like professional. maybe I was I gonna say trying to keep with the professionalism because yeah. they did just meet Leslie. That like, is five true. Minutes ago. In his defense, it was fucking yeah, sweet. It was. <laughs> <laughs> it was. But I do love that, and this is the start of them kind of demystifying slashers, right? And just giving away their. He's like the dude with that mask in the nineties. Now that's a yeah. deep cut. <laughs> <laughs> the show you how the trick is done. Yeah, yeah, because everything feels so supernatural in slashers, but they're like, no, we. There's a lot. Yeah. yeah. A lot goes into <laughs> Been it. Training for years. But in the next scene, we're set up in kind of a standard interview format with Taylor and Leslie seated across from each other. Taylor posits that what he's doing is basically just tormenting innocent people. Leslie laughs it off in disagreement, reminding her that they came to him to find out how people like, and I love this, Mike, Chucky, and Freddie. Yes. Mike. <laughs> <laughs> on a, not even first name, that's yeah. a nickname how they do what they do, not why. He then tells her that he's not just going to spill his guts to her and that it's more about her understanding of his process. Or not. Totally up to her. Right. (laughs) But Taylor then changes the question to ask him how he does it then. And he's like, all right, let's go. So in the next scene, it's nighttime and they're at the old farmhouse where the legend of Leslie Vernon began. Mm Mm-hmm. Leslie tells him that on the anniversary of his death, it's kind of a tradition for local kids to dare each other to spend the night here. But this year, he's going to be waiting for them. He tells them that the house used to be rented out a bunch. I I don't know if it's like an Airbnb (laughs) or what. (laughs) I don't know. It would have a low rating, but... (laughs) (laughs) Very low. It's apparently now in a trust and mostly remains empty. He turns on the breaker outside and we get a shot of inside the house through the window as Taylor asks why he doesn't just live here instead of his other house outside of town. 
And this just fucking cracks Leslie up. He's like, are you like, I mean, really, well, think about it. Yeah. He says, if, you know, Glenn Echo, as far as they're concerned, he's a corpse. So if he's just out here doing some light yard work, they'll be like, what the fuck? Right. <laughs> so <laughs> I love he like kind of just playfully pushes her away. He's yeah. like, come on. Yeah. But Taylor asks what the point of the house is then. He's like, look, step number one, my legend needs an anchor. And that's when he decides to take them to the apple orchard on the property. We get a shot through the branches and the fog and it looks <laughs> horrifying. It does. <laughs> but he tells them that the story goes that if you go out into the fields on the night of a harvest moon and till the soil, the dirt will come up wet with blood. But he says that if you have the grapes for it and you go out there, you can hear the sound of his mother's body swinging in the trees. Everybody's kind of like, oh, shit. Yeah. Well, at this point, like we haven't gotten the full story, so no. we're like, "What the fuck happened yeah. to your mom?" Yeah, like I thought you were thrown into the into yeah, the water. I was, yeah, and you didn't even mention a waterfall. No. <laughs> but after it, you know, kind of gets a little tense. He's like, "I'm just fucking around," <laughs> <laughs> and he tells them they have a month to go before the, I guess, anniversary. Right. Yeah. I was, <laughs> I was like, "What's wrong with this dude?" <laughs> <laughs> I think this is the point where I'm like, "This dude is so charismatic." Yeah. And he's a goofball. He is. Like, when you think of a psycho killer. Right. Yes. <laughs> and we'll get to that. Uh, <laughs> they're stoic. Right. They're like, they. he would be humorless. And I'm so glad they decided to make him just like a regular dude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, this just so happens to be what he does for a living. <laughs> but back at his house, Leslie is working a punching bag. Covered in sweat, he points out the importance of good cardio for serial killers. That is so fucking funny, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I love this so much. And he says it because it makes perfect sense. He's like, you have to be able to run without getting winded. And you have to do that thing where, <laughs> <laughs> where it looks like you're walking while everyone else is just running their asses yeah. off. <laughs> and he's so out of breath when he's he explaining is. this. It's so funny. Like, you can't help but laugh. He honestly looks annoyed that he has to do this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I thought it was kind of hilarious to imagine Michael Myers just hoofing it when people aren't looking yeah. and, then and then just chill, going chill, all chill, chill. <laughs> yeah, as he's just breathing heavily. Maybe that's why he's breathing heavily. Yeah, he is breathing heavily. <laughs> <laughs> but Leslie takes the crew to a local high school and tells them that since the location has already been scouted, the next step is to find a group to target. Taylor's like, you mean victims? And Leslie goes, you know, six in one hand, half a dozen in the other. It's whatever. But he explains that the killers don't just wake up one day obsessed with a girl and kill everyone in their way. The girl is incredibly important, but they have to find a supporting cast. He directs their attention to a group of preps and jocks, calling them his bread and butter. Good looking with healthy libidos, he says. He then presses on to a couple of burnouts, saying they're good for padding your numbers a little late in the game. <laughs> it's true. It's all true. At this point, you're like, I see what y'all are doing. Yeah, exactly. like, I, that's what I thought. I was like, so he's just explaining who he's going to kill. Exactly. Yeah. Like, all right. The other thing that's interesting, according to the actor's commentary, the burnouts were actually the preliminary editors of the film. <laughs> <laughs> but Leslie says that the goal is to find a group that has a little bit of everything. But most importantly, one survivor girl who will tie them all together. So this part, I was like, you know, when you think about Scream, they satirize horror. Right. Yeah. In general, slasher films, their conventions, etc. Mm -hmm. And they never really touched on the group dynamic. No. Yeah. And it's important. Yeah. Billy wasn't like a football star or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they were all just kind of people. 
Yeah. Well, 90s people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that made me think about Cabin, Cabin in, the in the Woods. Yeah. That's what I've been thinking this whole time. Because they really doubled down on that oh, in yes. Cabin in the Woods, which yeah. obviously came after yeah. this. Five years later. Yeah. It's a lot of time to watch a movie. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> when Taylor asks what a survivor girl is, Leslie says it's an industry term. Personally, I prefer the term final girl. Final girl. girl yeah. I like that a lot more. But we see a conservatively dressed girl carrying her school books a la Laurie Strode. Mm -hmm. And he says that it's a girl like her who could actually survive his killing spree. Very interesting note. As she's walking, we see like a group of schoolgirls jumping rope. Right. Just an obvious Nightmare on Elm Street reference. It's hilarious. It's one of those things, though, because I watched the film and I didn't catch that until I watched it for the show. I didn't catch it at first either. So again, it's just kind of tucked away. Just for the scholars. <laughs> but it's just so nice that it's there. But when Taylor asks why she could survive, he says simply, it's because she's a virgin. It's like, all right. Yeah, yeah. Sure. This is uh, Halloween. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not if Carpenter has anything to say about it. Right. He kind of, go listen to that episode. He went a little crude, but... Um, as the girl walks by, she makes eye contact across the parking lot with Leslie and they, I was going to say share a moment, but they share several moments. Yeah. Yeah. It's very clear that they sense each other, but Leslie tells them that he's already got a girl picked out in Glen Echo. And this was really just to demonstrate his scouting process. Todd makes a joke. (laughs) About how it's like a cooking show where they like make the food, but they (laughs) have one prepared already. And Taylor gets pissed off because of course she does. Because it was funny. Yeah. It's like, you can't be (laughs) cracking jokes. But that night, while parked outside of a diner, Leslie tells the group that from here on out, they're specifically dealing with his farmhouse murder plan and that it has to go just right. When Taylor asks why they're here, Leslie says, for her and points out Kelly, who we met during the opening of the film. After confirming Kelly is a virgin, Taylor asks if they can interview her, and Leslie, of course, forbids this. Well, why would you even ask yeah. that? I, it's How so does it dumb. feel to be the, uh, the target of a... She's like, what? She's like, yeah. wait, what's that? She's like, could you sign this release, please, that you're going to get murdered later? <laughs> but after Kelly turns out the lights out front, Leslie's like, it's showtime. They head to the back door as he explains what he's doing is called a flyby, which is step three in the process. He says Kelly drops the garbage at the dumpster every night and uses a brick to prop open the door. He shows that he's rigged the brick with some clear fishing line. (laughs) He's very proud of himself. He is. He says normally he does this himself, but since the crew is here, he directs Taylor on how to yank the brick away from the door at the perfect time. He basically gives us a behind-the-scenes making-of featurette of the opening scene of the film. Yeah, I'm like, this is a deconstructed horror scene. Exactly. It's amazing. But he then holds out his hand for Taylor to shake it, but she hugs him instead. Yeah. And he's like, here we go. We see the opening play out again, but in kind of a truncated version of all the important beats. So this, for me, is where the intro finds its payoff because it seemed just like standard horror fare. Yeah. But now you're like, no, they've got some gears working behind the scenes. Not anymore. (laughs) It's so cool. But after this successful flyby, the group congratulates Leslie on a job well done. He gives the men a pound and a bow, which I've never seen. That's (laughs) new (laughs) to me. I have to start doing that in the days of COVID. But yeah. 
he gives Taylor a hug that goes on a little longer than it should. Yeah, I thought this was that whole scene was hilarious. <laughs> I'm like, they're really helping this dude. Yeah, <laughs> I know. See, that's that, the problem. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. that's what made me like, wait, yeah. you guys. Do you know what you know what he's about to do? I think that's what's so crazy to Why me. Why are you is assisting him? Yeah. They're making it like they I don't know, like it's not murder? Yeah. <laughs> like it's anything else? I, I don't know. Like if he's planning a bank robbery or something right. and they're they've scouted out the place. I understand having this kind of reaction. Because nobody has to die with a bank robbery. And when you rob a bank cleanly, it's a victimless crime. Right. But <laughs> <laughs> I just I don't know it's very funny to me how they just and it that's what it is is it's Leslie he is so he makes you feel like it's okay yeah I've said this about um like Sasha Baron Cohen or (laughs) like Nathan Fielder yes they cultivate this atmosphere where it's okay for you to say shit that you probably know you shouldn't be saying (laughs) Uh but you're like this dude is so fucking cool yeah man like of course strap my kid to this whatever fucking thing (laughs) It's until you see yourself on TV, you're like, oh, oh my God, why shit. the fuck did I say that? I feel like he has those vibes right. where they're like, yeah, we fucking scared the shit out of her. But it's like, uh-huh. dude, you just you're no. priming her, yeah. you know, <laughs> but Leslie basically says that the goal was to plant the seeds of paranoia for Kelly, that some trouble might be brewing. We then see a car pull up in front of the diner and a guy in a long coat gets out. When Doug asks who that man is, Leslie's like, who knows? But (laughs) you can can tell there's a story here and it just cuts quickly from there. (laughs) I don't know. It doesn't matter. But in the next shot, we're following Leslie and Taylor while they're walking down a farm road. And Leslie tells them that they're headed to meet a couple of his friends. One of the friends is an old professional in the biz, as he says, who has since retired Leslie says that meeting with him will give them some perspective and will provide a bridge from the past to the future. They arrive at the house and Leslie rings the doorbell saying that the added bonus is that the old pro's wife is fucking hot. (laughs) (laughs) Did you see the car in the driveway? Yes, I did. It's the car from Evil Dead. Yes. The Delta. And again, you barely see the car. You barely see it. I didn't notice until your sister pointed it out to me because you can. You barely see it. And they don't draw attention to it. They don't Uh, mention it. Like... I caught the color of it and yeah. I had to rewind it. I was like, was that the Delta? Yeah. <laughs> Scotty's going to be pissed. <laughs> but again, it's like, that's for us. You, yes. did, you did that right. for, you know, the horror heads. Yeah. You know exactly. what I mean? Because the thing is, is that people that aren't that into the genre will be like, they're walking up to a driveway. Yeah. Yeah. Because you barely even notice that there's a car there, let alone what the car right. is. I just love it so much. But as soon as he finishes that line and he says she's fucking hot and then he does like the boobs mime. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then he turns around right to Jamie played by Bridget Newton as she answers the door and greets the group. I just love the timing of the comedy there. Yeah. And the name Jamie. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Leslie explains that the group is following him for a documentary and she's like, oh, that thing you told me about. So he's already primed them. Yeah. Which is good because you can't just roll up on a fucking... No, I'd be pissed. Especially the business that her husband's in. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) But Leslie asks where Eugene is and says that he's out in the tank and tasks Leslie and the gang to go retrieve him. We then see the group headed out into the woods with Leslie carrying a shovel He explains that Eugene is in a sensory deprivation tank underground. He says it's a lot like those yoga guys who can slow their breathing and heart rate down, which is a great skill to use just in case you have to appear dead for some reason. Which is genius. Very genius. Um, 
so much work goes into yeah. being seriously like this killer. is like an olympic level like <laughs> yeah. fucking it's absurd you must really love what you do to put this much into it oh yeah but, and, and not work a day in your life yeah <laughs> and i like it because like you said it does it does show i guess not humanizes the yeah. killers but it, i mean it shows Almost. that they're well yeah okay yeah. <laughs> they're like put in work for this uh-huh. it's like, this shit ain't easy no, no. we don't just rock up to yeah, a fucking no. house no. The other thing is I obviously want to make a reference to Saw, but I don't want to ruin Saw. Right. If you know, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but when asked why Eugene would need to do this if he's retired, Leslie's like, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but they dig him up and open the chamber and we see Eugene, played by Scott Wilson, lying inside wearing a suit. I met Scott Wilson uh-huh. at Fan Expo Dallas. I was like kind of waiting in the wings while yeah. you <laughs> while you and mom got pictures yeah, with him. Yeah, me and my mom took pictures with him and he was so nice. The late great I know. Scott Wilson. He even took extra pictures with us. Yes. Us oh, was yeah. So, yeah, he was so nice. R.I.P. Yeah, seemed like the greatest. Yeah. And so great in this film. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But Leslie gently wakes him up and tells him what time it is. We learn that Eugene has been in the chamber for three days and they help him out of it. <laughs> He's like, is it Tuesday? They're like, it's Thursday, yeah. pal. <laughs> but back inside their house, Leslie tells Jamie he's got a good feeling about what he's got planned for Kelly. When asked if she supports Leslie, Jamie says, of course she does, even though she wishes that he would have chosen something a little more safe to do with his life. It's like they're his surrogate parents. Yes, yeah, I was going to say big mom energy. Oh, yeah. She is super supportive Absolutely. of him. Like his cheerleader. Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, we know what he's doing. (laughs) (laughs) But a well-rested Eugene walks in and greets Leslie, who is drinking a beer. He offers Taylor one, but she politely declines, which is interesting. And we'll get to that later, I guess. Mm -hmm. Eugene heads over to Jamie and asks when dinner will be ready, but he receives an assignment instead. Vegetable chopping and getting the grill ready. They're just domesticated. They're just regular people. Yeah. But as he's chopping the veggies, Eugene begins to paint a picture of what it was like in the business during his day. His success came in the late 60s and 70s. He says back then, it was all about quantity. How many people you can kill, how many places you can hit. He says they weren't fortunate enough to go on scouting missions like Leslie, but he says that there have always been hacks out there. He calls them one-hit wonders who make a mockery of, I guess, their business by getting either arrested or killed. Right. Right. At this point... (laughs) His vegetable chopping has grown a little aggro. <laughs> I was laughing. I was like, oh shit. But he says that they're sloppy and it just cheapens the art. At this point, we hear that knife work in overtime. <laughs> and <laughs> he stabs it into the cutting board to reveal chopped carrots that would make an Iron Chef proud as fuck. It's like mush. Yeah. It's unbelievable. <laughs> it's It's hilarious, but... I listened to the actor's commentary and they said that the prop man was crouched under the counter and he swapped out the cutting boards with the expertly diced carrots. That's amazing. (laughs) It's very clearly edited, the sequence. Right. But they say that it was shot in a single sequence. So it's that him being under there is kind of lost because it seems like there's no need. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But I thought that it was so neat to personify an era of slasher i guess proto slashers yeah as a human being right like again it's like how has nobody done this before oh no, yeah it took till 2006 yeah but 
Jamie's like, cool story, bro. (laughs) (laughs) But she asks him to go start the grill. Leslie laughs, but Taylor looks a little horrified. Outside by the light of the grill, Taylor asks Eugene to clarify his remark about hacks. He says he's not talking about guys (laughs) like Jay or Fred or Mike. (laughs) (laughs) He says that in his day, though, murder was the focus and they didn't care or worry about coming back. But those guys, they revolutionized the whole thing and they made an art out of returning over and over again. Now, this writing is just brilliant. It yes, is. We're talking yes. about franchises Exactly. Here. Sequels, you know. You, it's funny because you look at Psycho and Black Christmas and stuff, and then you look at the serialization of horror sequels, and it's like, man, this is some chef's kiss it is. fucking yeah. stuff. It, it really is. And I, he very kindly doesn't mention that each return usually gets more convoluted and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> diminished quality, but I see his point. Um But according to an interview on HorrorNews.net, Glosserman said that there was originally supposed to be a scene where there was a poker game with a ton of horror icons in the genre. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad they decided against it, though. That would have probably been too much. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool in theory. Right. But it's like the dogs playing poker. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking But it's Michael Myers. But I think it's smart that they kept it light and didn't go overboard with right. it. He uh, in this scene too is wearing a hat from a Texas barbecue joint, hmm. and they thank that barbecue joint in the credits. Oh, really? Yeah, because I was like Texas Chainsaw. That's exactly yeah. what I was. Yeah, yeah, no, I guess it's a real place. I don't know. All right. I read on IMDb and Doctor Wolfula talked about it in his video that Eugene is supposed to be Billy from black christmas grown like grown up he was already an adult <laughs> he wasn't All a child grown up. yeah but it's never discussed or alluded to but it makes perfect sense in this context it does because he even talks about a sorority house when he's chopping the carrots right. yes but i i love that because i am obviously a big fan of black christmas mm-hmm. um that's just that's too that's cool funny. that's just yeah. fantastic <laughs> I just figured that this is what he did before Maggie was born and he was on the farm. <laughs> <laughs> he had a whole life before yeah. that. <laughs> but after Eugene's sly reference to sequels, Taylor makes a crack about it being a business of supernatural killing sprees and Eugene looks over at her like, the fuck did she just say? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but Leslie explains that Taylor doesn't know the drill yet and Eugene says that it's about a business of fear. He makes the argument that throughout all of human history, there have always been monsters and that for there to be a battle between good versus evil, evil has to exist. Which is a fair point. Very fair. Two things here, though. The first one is the fact that Taylor calls it a supernatural killing spree is when Leslie's giving her a peek behind the curtain right. to show. Right. <laughs> you know that. It's the, like, have you, you know. been yeah. listening to your own documentary <laughs> at all? But the other thing is that when we're talking about ancient things now... Aren't we starting to get really heavy Cabin in the Woods vibes? Yeah. For sure. Like, they watched this movie. Yeah, <laughs> definitely did. But after dinner, Jamie kindly gives the group some to-go bags, and Eugene chats Leslie up about his plans with Kelly, asking if he has his red herring worked out. Leslie says that he does, or at least he thinks he does, and that Kelly spends a lot of time at the library, so he's just going to do it there. Did you see on the end table the box from hellraiser no yeah, yeah. it's right next to leslie yeah. on the end table just sitting there like they don't focus See? on it nothing <laughs> eugene didn't pick it up like a rubik's no. cube <laughs> <laughs> but it's straight it's like, up so you got your red herring click clack yeah. no <laughs> 
But Leslie also says that he was thinking about knocking off one of her friends, and Eugene is like, slow down, Con yeah. Jr. <laughs> <laughs> but back on the subject of red herrings, after asking if there's a janitor or a homeless person that Kelly talks to, Jamie herself suggests a librarian. And it just so happens that an old librarian lets Kelly stay late sometimes. Eugene is all jazzed up by the idea, as is Leslie, and they say their goodbyes. I think this is such an interesting wrinkle because, again, if you were going to look at it as what you think following around a psycho killer in the making would be, right. you would think he'd be a loner. Right. Yeah, no, he is like a... Fi- this is like a family. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like he's going to visit his parents yeah. is the vibe. Like and talking about how you're moving up at work. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. That's what it feels like. About to get a promotion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just great. And also, I noticed in this, Taylor almost seems like she's his date meeting the parents right just kind of awkwardly there as they just chat about shit she has no idea and i feel like like you had mentioned this is when she starts to like seem uncomfortable Uh uh-huh and it's like why are you doing this then you knew exactly didn't he say you came to me yes so it's like a couple times stop and uh hi you helped strike fear into a (laughs) poor (laughs) poor teenage girl you're priming the exactly survivor girl it's like like, yeah let's get her good and paranoid (laughs) 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 that was last night but whatever (laughs) outside leslie explains to taylor that a red herring is basically the first person he's gonna kill that will involve kelly indirectly not my understanding of what a red herring is not at all but go off uh (laughs) it's kind of like i mean their use of survivor girl instead of final girl. It's like, I know what you're doing, but I don't know that you have the words right. exactly right. right. But back in the van, Leslie cuts out a newspaper article saying that the next step is to get this into Kelly's hands. The article is about a drifter by the name of Mark Daniel Curtis, who sexually assaulted Leslie's mother. The man is allegedly Kelly's great uncle, but it turns out the whole story is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> And Leslie says the the photo is even computer generated. And <laughs> he says one of my favorite lines. He goes, oh, a lot of lo- what we use is CGI. So, <laughs> Which makes no No. no. It's like, when and how are you doing this? <laughs> I couldn't stop laughing. That's exactly what I thought. I was like, how? <laughs> how the fuck are you doing that? But he says it so, you know that, right? Yeah, like, like, I hope you did your obviously. research on that. But outside the library... Leslie tells the group that this is the point of no return. Either come inside with him now or go home with a clear conscience. So Taylor and Todd follow him as he jogs towards the library. Doug waits inside the van, I guess, to kind of keep lookout or something. But as we see them rush up a staircase, we hear a voiceover of Leslie saying that the newspaper article is a test to see if Kelly can connect the dots and to see if they're on the same page. Mm Mm-hmm. As he picks the lock to a door, Leslie says this is really up to Kelly and how she reacts to what's about to happen. Very funny story from the actor's commentary. You see them breaking into that door on the second floor, but in reality, on the other side of that door (laughs) was about 200 people playing bingo. (laughs) (laughs) What the hell? Yeah, so they, I guess, had already rented the bingo hall up there. Uh, Oh, man. And they were they were filming there. Right. So they're like, can you guys just like be quiet for an hour, please? Oh, my God. (laughs) And I guess the the production tried to give them like swag or something to keep them cool. Because how do you play bingo quietly? No, you don't. Shit. Well, just call five billion and nobody yeah, will have yeah. it on their But you'll have an angry coworker. <laughs> <laughs> but once inside, Leslie breaks away from the group to plant the newspaper article. 
We see him hopping over shelves, nimble as shit. It reminded me of fucking Hot Fuzz. <laughs> yeah, so it's like he's agile as yeah. well. Yeah, man. It's all that cardio, Exactly. Smart man. But Todd actually loses sight of him, only for him to appear back with the group behind the bookshelves after the job is done. Todd actually gasps, and he's like, Todd, be quiet. Yeah. <laughs> Not only are we trying to freak someone, this is the library. <laughs> but... As it turns out, Leslie also switched out the microfiche, apparently, and the new one has the planet article. If all goes according to plan, and that's a big if, Kelly will see the clipping, ask the librarian for help to see the rest of the article on the microfiche, read the article, and make the connection. He says the librarian will offer some comforting words, and that's when he'll make his appearance. He also <laughs> cracks a joke. He just pulls this book. Oh, my God. <laughs> I laughed so hard at I this. I couldn't stop laughing. He pulls Milton's Paradise Lost off the shelf, and he goes, Paradise Lost? Found it. <laughs> it seems so off the cuff, like it unnecessary. Was, it was improvised. The silliest shit. <laughs> it, felt, it was. It felt improvised. But it just makes me laugh how quickly that aside is just banished. <laughs> He's yeah. like, all right, let's go. He goes, found it. All right, so back to business. Here's the deal. <laughs> I like this whole scene. It kind of reminded me of like a like a, a behind the music or like yes. a yeah. e true Hollywood story or whatever. I was like, this is fucking hilarious. Yes, <laughs> and that makes me wonder if behind the music, behind the mask, right? That's probably, yeah, it really could be. That's probably where the title came from. But as he gets back to business, like we said, he tells the guys to keep rolling throughout the entire red herring operation. He says after he kills the librarian, he's going to chase Kelly around a bit for good measure. Then he'll give a signal and they'll meet back at the van. Taylor wishes him luck and he's off. However, Doug radios in from outside saying they've got company and we see a car pull up outside the library. Todd films Kelly as she gets up from studying at her table and walks over to where Leslie left the news article. She picks it up and reads it. And the whole time, <laughs> Taylor and Todd provide a running commentary, which is <laughs> mostly just Todd being horny on Maine. <laughs> Basically. But the film suddenly shifts to being shot like an actual horror film. Right. Just like the opening. Right, right. And we see the camera dip down from above following Kelly as she asks Miss Collinwood, the librarian played by Zelda Rubenstein, yeah. <laughs> to help her find the rest of the article. So the plan's going a, uh, perfect so far. Right. But she tells Kelly that the article must be 30 years old in the voice that could only belong to Zelda oh, Rubenstein. Yeah. Yeah. And Incomparable. It, seriously. She says someone probably brought it in and left it by mistake. But then she takes her over to the microfiche. I don't know why I love microfiche. Like, I know. I don't know if it's just the word is cool and makes no sense. No, it's a great word. <laughs> but <laughs> they're just reading from Leslie's script. It feels right. like. Yeah, seriously. He planned it perfect. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. unbelievable. But Kelly reads the article and it's detailing the fake story about Leslie's mother. Miss Collinwood asks if Kelly is related to the man in the article because of the last name Curtis. And Kelly asks if she knows that legend of what happened at the Vernon farmhouse. Collinwood is like, man, everybody knows. Uh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> but Kelly says she wants to know. Collinwood shows her a photo of Mr. and Mrs. Vernon on their wedding night, saying it was the first and last photo taken of them. She says they were a very strange couple who kept to themselves. But nine months after that night, Molly Vernon gave birth to a bastard son. He was forced to live in the cider house and till the fields with a hand scythe. But one night, under a harvest moon, he murdered his father, then dragged his mother out to hang her in the apple orchard. So it's all coming together. Right. Yeah. And You're we're like, getting... Oh. Yeah. Oh, shit. Is that one? 
<laughs> but it was only after his crimes were discovered that the townspeople rounded him up and threw him into Ellis Falls. So the way the story is told at the beginning, I'm like, man, he's a victim of that's, you know, what, right, it, that's right. what it seemed like. Yeah. You no, know, it's like a Freddy Krueger situation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, no, Beretta did that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she told that story with some zeal. She, oh, she yeah. put some stank on oh, it. Yeah. My favorite line of hers is coming up. <laughs> Kelly asks if they ever found the body, but Collinwood says, in water that cold, bodies don't come up. Turtles picked his bones clean. I'm like, oh, oh shit. shit. <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> it's starting to make more sense. And then you have that turtle his turtle right. yeah. at the beginning so you're like that's why he kept those yeah they remind him of the worst moment of his <laughs> life <laughs> but kelly says that if her great uncle was the boy's father then that makes her leslie's and Collinwood is like if you don't get that bullshit out of here yeah no. <laughs> it's like that's enough yeah she's like if the boy drowned he's dead right there's nothing to worry about interestingly enough this is when i was like but then how is leslie here yeah yeah I had the same question. When he talked at the beginning about being thrown in uh-huh. and I think even was like and died or Taylor yeah. said yeah. that. I'm like, then how is he right here? <laughs> I thought I was like, okay, so maybe they thought he died and he yeah. just right, ran off. Right. But when she's like, turtles picked his bones clean. I'm like, they found a skeleton? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, but so, Leslie has yeah. skin. Yeah. We've seen him <laughs> numerous times. But just after she says there's nothing to worry about, Leslie, now in overalls and wearing a mask, appears behind Collinwood, raising his hand scythe. I just want to talk about the mask for a second. Uh huh. I think it's fantastic. I love right. it. I have some background on it from horrornews.net. Apparently, the mask was an attempt to combine the look of the face of a fetus with the shell of a turtle. Oh, shit. To fit Leslie's legend. All right. But they said that the other real motivator was trying to make it nondescript in expression, just like Michael Myers and Jason. Ah, okay. <laughs> they accomplished yeah. that. Yeah, I think it's, I think no, it's perfect. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. But of course, Kelly screams. <laughs> and then behind Leslie, we see Doc Halloran, played by Robert England. Uh, I didn't. You're like, what? <laughs> yeah. I have a couple things. All right. Clearly, Dick Halloran from The Shining, right? And Doc. And yeah. yeah. Perfect. And then he's Dr. Loomis. Oh, he's straight. <laughs> yeah. Let's he be is clear. straight up Dr. Loomis. He's even wearing the long coat <laughs> yes. with the yes. collar up. That was the first thing I thought. Well, no. First, I was like, it's Freddy. Yeah. And I was like, it's true. wait, it's Dr. Loomis. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the funny thing I read with the Shining reference from an interview is that Glosserman apparently wrote his senior thesis on The Shining. Huh. Oh, wow. And so he's like very clearly a fan of the yeah. film. That's cheeky. <laughs> yeah. But Halloran tells Leslie, no more. It ends here. As Collinwood just collapses. He didn't do anything to her. I think she fainted. <laughs> <laughs> but Leslie slips into a side hatch as Halloran fires a shot and misses him. He's like, I shot him six times. <laughs> <laughs> but Kelly runs to Halloran, who embraces her now that she's safe. Leslie fucking tiptoes through the tulips on top of the library shelves. <laughs> Again, agile as yeah. he was. And then he fucking strikes a pose. Yeah. <laughs> as Halloran fires another shot and Leslie drops down. He's got moxie. He does. I respect it. <laughs> But back outside, returning to documentary mode, Leslie, back in normal clothes, celebrates like an excited child. And he's making sure that they got the footage of Halloran. Yeah. But he says, we've got an Ahab. And Taylor, in her 
full celebration. She's like, yeah, what's an Ahab? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're throwing a lot of industry terms at her. She yeah. does not yeah. understand. Give her like a dictionary of some <laughs> right. kind. But he says this is very important and that they have to tell Eugene. So in the next scene, they show the footage to Eugene and Jamie. Eugene's like, I'll be damned, Doc Halloran. (laughs) (laughs) Leslie says Doc Halloran is a psychiatrist who visited him in the hospital when he was younger. And Jamie says that he always predicted that Leslie would return to Glen Echo. So this is ripped straight from the headlines. And by the headlines, I mean John Carpenter's Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) But Leslie finally explains that an Ahab is basically his opposite. It's a reflection of everything good in humanity, someone who will risk their life to stop evil. So it's really setting up that good versus evil thing that Eugene was talking about. Yeah. Eugene reminds Leslie to keep his eyes on the prize, but Jamie's like, fuck that noise, and is just bursting with excitement. Yeah. Like a proud mother. Yeah. She is. Back in Glen Echo, Taylor, for some reason, decides to break Leslie's only rule and visit Kelly at the diner. She and Todd sit down at a table and Kelly, very distractedly, takes their order. Off in the distance, Halloran spies them and <laughs> starts to make his way over. They zoom in on Halloran he's like, and he's already... <laughs> yeah, I He's didn't, literally <laughs> staring at them. Yeah, not even trying to hide it. And I don't know why, but as he's walking over, his gloved hand holding his coffee mug is hilarious to me. <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't know why. But the other thing, and I might be being kind of a tool... But as he's standing over the table, he gets this like low angle shot from Todd's hidden mm-hmm. camera. And it looks like the ceiling fan spinning above his head is a halo. Oh, shit. He's good. Yeah. 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 I don't know if I'm just being up my own ass here, but <laughs> I thought that was pretty neat. No, that's cool. Thank you. But he asks why they're following Kelly. Of course, they don't spill the tea. They just play dumb instead. They're like, and, and your name is Who's <laughs> <laughs> Kelly. Yeah. But he tells them that Leslie isn't who they think he is and says his name is actually Leslie Mancuso and he's from Reno, Nevada, the biggest little city in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Which is another little nod because Mancuso, Frank, I think Mancuso Jr. Uh is the producer of a lot of the Friday the 13th movies. (laughs) So (laughs) it's everything is steeped. Like nothing is just what it is. And it's not, I mean... I guess a name drop is a little less subtle. <laughs> I was going to say, and it's not in your face. And she's like, his name is Leslie Mancuso. Like, All right. Maybe it is. At least they weren't like, his name is actually Frank Mancuso. <laughs> it's true. But when Kelly comes back to the table, he tells her that Taylor and Todd want to speak to her. Suddenly, Taylor gets cold feet and excuses herself and Todd. And Kelly is holding that hot ass coffee yeah. pot in her hand. <laughs> This is obviously not a hot (laughs) pot of coffee, but Doc Halloran says they should expect to see more of him. And then he looks straight down the lens into the camera. (laughs) He's like, is that for us, sir? But they immediately bail from the restaurant. Unfortunately for them, Leslie is waiting outside and grabs Taylor by the arm, pushing her into the side of the van, totally pissed off that she broke the only rule he gave her. It's like his feelings are hurt. Yeah. He feels betrayed. Yeah. As he should. Yeah. They've done all this. Fun shit together. (laughs) Well, to him. It's like, I thought we were friends. Well, to her, too, because she was cheering. That is true. He tells her that if, you know, if they want to just fuck off and go, that's fine. But don't ruin what he's got going on here. He asks where the trust is. And this, of course, allows Taylor to confront him about his lie. Yeah. He tells her to get in the van. But when she asks if he ever lived in Reno, he grabs her by the throat and slams her against the van. He tells her that she wins and that he'll tell her everything and politely asks her to get in the van. 
Nathan Basil, ladies and gentlemen. No, he flipped it. Yeah. Just does an amazing job switching. Because, again, he's charming in one moment, and then he's absolutely threatening. Right. Which I guess is, that's a sociopath, right? Or is it a psychopath? Help. <laughs> I'd say psychopath. Okay. Um, But yeah, he flips it and reverses it. Because this is the first time, <laughs> even though he's talking about you know, stalking this girl and killing her and killing her friends and killing this old lady librarian. Uh-huh. He's still so funny and charming that you're yeah. like, oh, Leslie. <laughs> but this is the first time you're like, oh, shit. Like, like wait a minute. Yeah. He means... That was violent. Wait, you mean you're going to yeah. kill these people? Yeah. <laughs> and also, uh, one of the cameramen are filming from the inside of the van. Nobody yes. even tries to help yeah, her. No. no. They're like, oh, shit, he's mad. Hey, when you're filming a docu- <laughs> documentary, you don't get involved. <laughs> yeah, no. That's step one. One thing, though, is I di- I'm glad you mentioned that because I love the back and forth of the camera from yeah. the inside because you've got those claustrophobic shots. Right. And then you got the ones of the free outside air, you mm-hmm. know? It's just very smart. One thing that is interesting to me is on that actor's commentary, Nathan Basil said that Robert England watched them film this scene. And I guess he thought that he was making sure that he didn't get himself into some bullshit by being like, well, I know that I'm going to do well, but what the fuck is everybody else doing? <laughs> but I, Which is fair. It's fair. I mean, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> it's like, what am I a part of? Exactly. Yeah. The other thing is that this scene was not rehearsed. This is the first time they've oh, ever really? done this. Yeah. And they did very well. Yeah, yeah. they did. Especially if part of the scene is slamming someone up against something. How do you not rehearse that beforehand? Like, was that too hard? I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) They were embodying the 70s. Yeah, seriously. It's like, yeah, do whatever you want. They killed her, I think. (laughs) (laughs) But back at Leslie's house, it's all confirmed. He never lived in Glen Echo. Molly Vernon is not his mother. And he co-opted a local legend to fulfill his life's work. As it turns out, Doc Halloran is a psychiatrist, but he was a psychiatrist who treated Leslie in Reno. But he says that Halloran can't turn him in because he filed a restraining order against him. So if he tries, he'll get arrested. That's some forethought. Like, he plans everything. Yeah, that's, that's fucking stupid. <laughs> well, because he looks real proud of himself when he says yeah. it. He laughs when he says it, like, almost he'll like a schemer. Arrested. Yeah. It's like the irony of that. Yeah. But Taylor says she feels used, and Leslie's like, this isn't about you. (laughs) It's about my life's work. But he understands if she doesn't want to stay. This is when he catches that he's being filmed from a closet, and he tells Todd to shut off the camera. (laughs) That night in the van, though, the crew tries to figure out what their next step is, and Doug tells Todd to just let Taylor think. That next morning, after some B-roll of the farm through some like sunlit fog, we see the van pull up as Leslie leans up against his car. Just as an aside, I thought it was kind of... <laughs> He's a psycho killer, but he drives a Prius. Yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it's a fucking Prius? Yeah. <laughs> it's like they're really making him just this yeah. likable. <laughs> but Taylor walks up and stands next to him. After a moment, she says, this is what she's chosen to do, so they're going to see it through. Angela Gothels came up with that line and on commentary she said she didn't realize until later that it rhymed. (laughs) (laughs) But after hearing that news, Leslie smiles. Later, inside the farmhouse, Leslie gives him the brass tacks. You want to limit your time inside as much as possible, not only because it restricts your mobility, but it's best to avoid a game of hide and seek. Taylor asks why he wouldn't just reach in and grab someone if they hid in a closet or something. And Leslie says that the closet is a sacred place, (laughs) symbolic of the womb and innocence. Taylor's like, so that means you're pro-life. 
and he looks at her like, why did I ever agree to do this fucking project? (laughs) He doesn't answer. He just moves on. But he says, you don't want to spend too much time on one person either because it could cause you to break rule number one. Nobody gets away. He says it'll all start in the bedroom of this house. Two of the party goers will probably come up to fool around and he'll be waiting in an adjacent room to sneak in and off them. After the kills, he'll stage it like they're sleeping so the situation doesn't get too out of hand too quickly. He says he has to shrink the numbers down to him and Kelly ASAP. Thankfully, he's got some tricks up his sleeve, including a button he whips out that's hooked up to the fuse box to cut the power. (laughs) He also filled the flashlights in the kitchen with dead batteries, which will lead the group into the basement to check the fuse box. I love that he put dead batteries in them instead of just taking the batteries out. Or just removing the (laughs) flashlights altogether. But again, I guess it's a horror trope for them to knock the flashlight. So it it works. But he says, here's how it'll go down. And we see everything play out as he describes it. Kelly is seated on the couch with Shane, played by Hart Turner. And those are these are these real people's credits, by the way. Stoned guy, <laughs> played by Tio Gomez, and slightly more stoned guy, played by Matt Bolt, are sitting next to them. Pete, played by Anthony Forsyth, makes out with Lauren, played by Chrissy Carlson, on an adjacent chair. When the lights go out, Pete goes to investigate the basement, bringing Lauren along to continue their little party downstairs, if you follow me. We get a <laughs> very tight shot of Pete unzipping Lauren's sweater, pulling down her bra and squeezing her breasts, <laughs> which <laughs> Taylor calls out as gratuitous. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a tight shot. It's, yeah. it's the tightest shot in the whole film, I think. <laughs> but after Taylor calls him out, Leslie's like, come on, Taylor, who's telling the story? <laughs> So I'm like, okay, obviously this is a commentary on nudity and horror, but I was like, maybe it's also a commentary on the male dominated. Who's telling the story. Exactly. Yeah. Because oftentimes it's one of us. It was just, it was so unnecessary and hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's a thing that in any other movie you'd be like, come the fuck up. (laughs) But here you're like, that's funny. (laughs) (laughs) But Lauren and Pete continue to make out. However, When Lauren heads downstairs to check Pete's fuses, if you follow me, (laughs) the lights go out. Leslie says Pete will tell her to stay put while he checks it out. But when the lights turn on, we see Leslie donning his full costume, having already murdered Pete with a pitchfork. He says he'll let Lauren go, allowing her to freak the fuck out and create a panic upstairs. Then he'll drag Pete's body to the shed to set up a scare for whoever tries to get in there later. He says no one is allowed in there but Kelly, calling upon the closet metaphor situation again, and he says anyone else who tries to get inside will get got with a post hole digger. Taylor calls it sadistic, but genius. I'm like, (laughs) pick a lane. You are all over the place. Is this the worst thing ever, or is he a genius? Or both, I guess. Yeah. But the crew asks why he wants Kelly to head inside the shed. And then they're like, oh, wait, no, Taylor should ask that question. And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> it makes me laugh because she's like, it. the the question comes to her through the ether. She's yeah. like, so I'm thinking, why would you want her to head into the shed? And he's like, great question. <laughs> but Leslie says it's the first part in her transition from victim to heroine. We see Kelly make her way into the shed and Pete's lifeless body plops out onto the ground as she does. Leslie says she'll reach for a long, hard weapon as we see her grab an axe. Back in the interview, (laughs) (laughs) Leslie explains it's symbolic for her to seek out something phallic. She'll be empowering herself 
I'm just going to say with his manhood. The way he says it, he's just like, like straight Don't up. Don't you understand? Yeah, yeah. Obviously. I I laughed. Yes. <laughs> and Taylor's like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> she looks, Taylor looks deeply uncomfortable. And then she says, so you're pro-life and a chauvinist. It's like, he never said either of those no. things. No, he didn't. What are you talking about? But all right. In reality, Leslie takes Taylor to the tool shed and he shows her that he sabotaged all the weapons inside. And no matter what Kelly grabs, it's not going to work out. He says she might get one good whack, but then whatever she uses is going to fall apart. He goes over all the entrances and exits of the house, saying he's nailed the windows shut and even did a bit of landscaping and tree cutting to ensure that no one can climb down after things start to get hairy. It's funny, too, when he's talking about the windows, because he says something like, I nailed the first floor shut, but it doesn't really matter because they don't try to jump out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> until they're on the second floor. He's right. Yeah. And he says, and then they go to the roof and they're fucked. He's like, what yeah. the so hell? Because you think about every horror movie yeah. you've seen where they jump out the window. Yeah. And we just talked about Scream. Yeah. <laughs> like, so he does have everything scouted. And this apparently kind of annoys Taylor, who says that he's basically just stacking the deck against the kids. And he's like, in reality, the odds are against me. No, yeah, he's yeah. super outnumbered. Yeah, he has to take every advantage he can. Yeah, and I like that. <laughs> it's <laughs> like he's preparing. You know what I mean? Yes. It's like I'm gonna be outnumbered. So if they do this, I got yeah. that. If yes. they do this, I got that. It's gonna be like six on one. Yeah. <laughs> and if he just rocked up to the farm with no preparation, he, oh yeah, like, what the fuck? So no, I'm I'm I understand Leslie. <laughs> But back in Leslie's imagined plan of the evening, we see him skulking around outside, returning to the front of the house in the dark as the remaining survivors run upstairs to wake the two lovers that Leslie has already killed. After discovering their corpses, the kids lose their absolute shit and run for the car. In the rear view, they see Leslie brandishing the hand scythe. This is very, <laughs> this is something you could only get away with in an indie film. Uh huh. According to the actor commentary, Nathan Basil said, with the hand that's not holding the scythe, he flashed a hand signal for his Juilliard acting troupe. Oh. Uh. <laughs> I love that so much because this is his first film. So he's right. like, look, guys, yeah. you know, I'm in a lead it. role. <laughs> that's amazing. And if this were a big budget, they'd be like, hold on. What's yeah. he doing with his hand? <laughs> right. No gang signs. Yeah, none yeah. of that. But all the kids scream when they see Leslie. When the car doesn't start, they get into another car. Stone guy in the worst performance I think I've... Uh, I don't understand how they're still stoned during this. I, yeah. No. You would snap back to yeah. reality. <laughs> like be no rabbit. Oh, there goes gravity. <laughs> <laughs> but he says that he can't get this, the car to start either. He's like, fucking start, man. It's yeah. like so bad. It's so bad. But Leslie just smashes through the glass, which Nathan Basil said he actually did smash through that glass himself. Oh, shit. I doubt it was real glass. <laughs> Because it would have, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we had to take Stone Guy to the hospital. No, <laughs> but he grabs Stone Guy by the hair and drags his throat onto the broken glass of the window, which is a pretty inventive kill. Yeah, it is. I don't think I've ever seen that done before. But the rest of the survivors run into the barn. Leslie asks Taylor what she thinks will happen next. She says that if they all head to the barn, they'll try to hide. And he's like, Exactamundo. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately for Lauren, though, we see Leslie just snatch her up and kill her as she gets to the top of the ladder. As Kelly and Shane make a break for it, with Kelly sliding down some kind of farm slide. I don't know what yeah. those things are called. 
<laughs> it was like a shoot. Yeah, yeah but I've I've never done a day of work in my life. <laughs> I don't apparently, think farm slide better. <laughs> stair <right>. hole. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> she slides down the stair hole. Leslie reminds Taylor she's forgetting one important detail. Doc Halloran. So he rewinds the tape a bit, which I I really like. That, that was cool. And we see Doc Halloran arrive on the scene trying to calm Kelly and Shane. Unbeknownst to him, Leslie springs up from behind him, cutting both their showdown short and Halloran to death. Then we press on, showing Kelly making a break for it again, running for the apple orchard, which Leslie calls the piece de resistance. He compares it to the birth canal where Kelly's inner survivor girl can be born from. It's a little much, but I can. I mean, I get it. But go off. Yeah. We see Kelly snagging the axe again after Pete's body falls to the floor, heading back into the apple orchard. Back in reality, Leslie says that he hopes it'll all lead here, and we see him just working the shit out of a cider press. Yeah. <laughs> He's got an apple in his mouth, too. Yeah. He's just. <laughs> but he says that he shouldn't have to explain the metaphor of Kelly crushing his apples. He, and he's right. Yeah. He's like, don't tell me. Again. <laughs> but Taylor asks what the cider press is going to do tonight. And as Leslie mashes up some apple mush, he says, it's going to hurt somebody. Foreshadowing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but that night, under the light of the harvest moon with the sound of thunder rumbling, Leslie makes one last stop at Eugene's house before it's showtime. Taylor asks for some advice on how to survive people like him or Leslie. And Jamie shares her two cents. Don't be friends with a virgin. And if you find one in your crew, either get them laid or back the fuck up. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Yes. Eugene says outside of that, the best advice he can give is run like a motherfucker and don't look back. Pick out a clear path and just get to hoofing. He says hiding or fighting is pointless. They'll find you. They'll kill you. Over this speech, though. We see B-roll of Eugene and Leslie skipping stones at a river. It's like I was expecting Jim Croce to start playing. Just, <laughs> just total father-son behavior. I was just about to say the lyrics. Yeah. Because literally. Moving them down the highway. Yeah. <laughs> they're skipping stones. Yeah. They're like, it's That's adorable. <laughs> I, I just love that they're, apparently they filmed this footage on the same night that they filmed him getting pulled from the grave. Mm -hmm. That's why the grave scene is at night because they spent so much time skipping stones. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they were losing light, which just they makes had a me blast. laugh. Yeah. And this is clearly more important. <laughs> so Taylor asks if not splitting up is a good tactic. And Eugene says, yeah, as long as at least one person in the group is slower than you are <laughs> when it comes time to run. Solid advice. Yep. Yes. The group laughs as Jamie remarks that she was fast, so fast, in fact, that she caught Eugene. And I'm like, that is very interesting. It's yeah. almost like this throwaway line. Yes. But if you're paying attention, you're like, hold the fuck on. Exactly. What? So, I mean, I don't have to say it. She was <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're his survivor me. girl yeah. now. <laughs> but Eugene hugs Leslie goodbye and he gets a hug and a kiss from Jamie. One thing I did want to point out in that interview with HorrorNews.net, Glosserman, I didn't know this until reading that interview, but the script for Behind the Mask came to the director when he was working as, I guess, like a some kind of a secretary at CAA. And 
after he read it, he got in contact with the writer and they refined it together to make the film that we see today. Oh, wow. And so apparently he had the knowledge of like film from an academic perspective. So all this stuff about, you know, phallic symbols and whatnot came from him. Wow. (laughs) And then the lines like run like a motherfucker and don't look back (laughs) came from the other guy. I just think that's that's really cool. cool. They covered all bases. Right. Basically. But back inside the house, Leslie prepares for the evening in front of a mirror, spreading some kind of concoction over his face. He says it's some it's the stuff that boxers use to control cuts and bruising. He also lets it slip that he added some flame retardant chemicals to the mix as well. Interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I should also mention that he has makeup around his eyes and mouth, so he is very committed to the bit. It looks right. creepy. Yeah. It does. Also, I did want to point out more stuff from The Shining. In the background, Midnight, The Stars, and You plays very faintly. Yes. It's so... It's. If you're not listening no, for yeah. it, or if you don't know it offhand, I know this song so much because I've used it in my Instagram story like five million <laughs> times. But and I've also seen The Shining a bunch. I should have led with that. <laughs> no Instagram. <laughs> yeah, more that's more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's just a very interesting thing. Again, not in your face. They're not like, what no. are you listening to? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Is this from a movie? Or? It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> but <laughs> Taylor asks him if he's worried at all about Doc Halloran showing up. And he says that his primary focus is Kelly, because whatever she does tonight will dictate his entire future. True. Whether or not he'll get a sequel. or No, he doesn't yeah. say that. <laughs> but he admits the fact that he's trying to kill her creates some kind of a paradox. Also, in this part, Leslie makes a very strange like horror face in the mirror. And for those who have seen it, Nathan Basil said this is a reference to Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Hmm. Where one of the characters... Makes a face very similar to this. Yeah. <laughs> Try not to spoil shit, but if you know, you know. I'll say that again. Yeah. But he looks down, somewhat forlorn. When Taylor asks if he loves Kelly, he clarifies that he loves what she represents to him and what she can awaken within herself. Seated on the second floor of the barn, Leslie sits with Taylor, peering out into the night, giving himself a moment to kind of just take it all in. Yeah. He's completely overtaken by his own happiness and becomes emotional, starts crying even. That's kind of what I was like. Is he happy crying? Yeah. Or is he I was like, what's going on? I'm like, do you comfort him? Like, yeah. What, <laughs> what, what do you do? <laughs> I heard on the commentary that this was a choice by Nathan Basil to start crying. It wasn't in the script. He was just supposed to be just overjoyed. Right. But he's like, what would Leslie be feeling if literally his entire life's work was coming together in this moment. Like, man, you're putting that Juilliard shit to work. He's so great. (laughs) But Taylor goes to touch his face several times and instead settles for holding his hand, which I feel like is more intimate. Yeah. Leslie collects himself and realizes it's down to the wire, so he just wants to double check and make sure everything is good to go. Taylor and the crew wait inside the house in that room adjacent to where Leslie hopes two teens will soon be banging (laughs) the window flings open and leslie yamo b there's into the room (laughs) with a roll hilarious (laughs) he did not have to do that so extra (laughs) but he tells them eight kids are downstairs getting wasted and kelly is abstaining which he sees as a good sign then he shows off the spark plugs that he snatched from the kids cars tipping the odds further in his favor he's like i don't feel like getting run over tonight yeah <laughs> well i'm like at this point this is the night of I'm yeah like, how yeah, far yeah. are we taking this very <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, the documentary crew. Oh, I don't think they realize. <laughs> like, what like the, do we keep filming? What are y'all yeah. doing there? Should I keep doing it? <laughs> <laughs> I I still like this that yes. what he's doing. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it's because, like you said, when you watch the movies and then shit happens, it's just like, oh, so now the car is not going to start. Yeah. Exactly. This is why. Exactly. And it's, it, I, I just really enjoyed that. 100%. Yeah. Again, just demystifying everything. Yeah. Michael Myers is out here taking spark plugs yeah. and shit, you know? <laughs> Cutting tree branches. Yeah. And- He's working up a sweat, yeah. man. <laughs> but Taylor is beginning to look very uneasy about the situation. Leslie says the two teens should arrive to Bone Town at any moment and out of the goodness of his heart, he'll let them fool around a bit before <laughs> he slices and dices. He's a good man. But we get more shots of Taylor having very visible second thoughts as we hear the two teens making their way into the room. Leslie peeks into the room, then arms himself with the hand scythe and tells them it's time to dance with the devil before slipping on his mask. Great line. Yeah. He throws open the curtain and heads into the room. We hear the couple being slashed and disemboweled. Taylor covers her ears for a moment, and it looks like she's holding back bile. It's like, we're accessories now, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean... <laughs> we're in this now. <laughs> the reality that this motherfucker was not joking... No. no. He's been in. telling you for the last yes. hour what They're he's like, going to oh, do. wait. You mean when he said murder, he meant murder? Yeah. <laughs> they ask Taylor, the crew does, if they should be rolling on this or not. <laughs> And she's like, I don't know. Leslie returns covered in blood, taking off his mask. He very eerily keeps repeating, all right, all right, it's begun. And you're like, oh, shit. No, he's keyed up. (laughs) Yeah. He's keyed up. He reaches out to Taylor, though, and she snatches her arm away. Then she peeks into the room, then pulls a Sean pin, telling them to get the fucking camera out of her face. (laughs) Again, though. How are you mad at him for doing exactly what he's been telling you he was going to do? That's where I'm like, you knew what you signed up for. He's a man of his word. He didn't say, and then we're going to prank these kids. He's (laughs) like, I'm going to kill him, then her, then them. Yes. Yeah. So Leslie looks her in the eyes, finally noticing that something isn't right. And he just rushes everyone out the window outside to the van. Taylor asks why they're being taken outside as if she didn't just cause a scene up there. (laughs) (laughs) And Leslie says it's because she had a we can't just stand here and let this happen look. He takes off his mic pack and gives it back to Todd, telling them to leave. He apologizes to them, but says that so many factors are still up in the air and his future is uncertain. So the fact of the matter is they're probably not going to be BFFs and hanging out after this anyway. Right. So he's very pragmatic. He is. He's like, we might as well say our goodbyes. Yeah. Just straight facts. Yeah. He shakes hands with Todd and Doug, wishing them luck. And they're like, yeah, good luck to you too, (laughs) man. Like, what are we wishing him luck, you know? But he looks over at Taylor and she tells him that he doesn't have to do this. Leslie says that he made a choice to fulfill the evil portion of the good versus evil equation. He says he chose this just like she chose journalism. All right. (laughs) They kind of laugh. And he's like, this is what we were born to do. And he holds her face as she holds his hands before finally telling him goodbye. He slips the mask back on, grabs his scythe and bag of tricks, and disappears into the night. Mm-hmm. The crew's like, that's it? Really? Yeah. <laughs> really? Like, you suck, man. Yeah, you were, like, in there. <laughs> you were <laughs> already in that deep. Yeah, you, yeah, you just I'm, witnessed him kill yeah, two people. Exactly. <laughs> There's no turn. He's, and he said, there is no turning back. He did. They turned back. Yeah. yeah. 
But Taylor tells them to just pack up the equipment. As Doug puts his camera in the van, Todd goes to get one last shot of the house, which I got to say, if I learned anything from majoring in journalism, you can never have too much (laughs) (laughs) B-roll. So great choice. But as Todd gets the shot, all of the lights go out in the house and the group realizes that Leslie's plan is coming to fruition. At this point, Taylor's like, this is all I can stand and I can't stand no more. (laughs) (laughs) And she tells Todd to turn the camera off and he does. From this point forward, the documentary is over and it's shot again like a straight slasher flick. Yeah. Right. I was a little confused from like when it would switch between. Uh Uh-huh. But then now I was like, okay, there's no more. It's over. Yeah. And this is also the first time we see Doug and Todd's faces. Right. Yes. But Taylor tells the guys that they know his plan. So they're the only ones who can stop him. And even the writing goes all slasher flick because Taylor's like, we built up his story for him yeah. and now I'm editing it. I'm like, yeah. stop it. <laughs> Calm down, Gail Weathers. Um, I like that they're embracing these tropes now. Right. I think it makes sense. But Todd, a true documentarian, like we said, said they're not supposed to interfere at all. But Doug relents a bit. He says they can go inside and warn Kelly, but then bail. Taylor, fed up with their lack of courage, decides to go it alone after she says something about their lack of balls or something. And he's like, <laughs> he goes, why'd she have to make the balls reference? Yeah. So offended. I'm like, reference? reference. <laughs> <laughs> but they join her. They head inside with a working flashlight to find stoned guy and slightly more stoned guy seated on the couch. They ask where Kelly is and stoned guy says that she went upstairs with Shane. They head up there and find a door closed, making sure to let us know that it's not the master bedroom where the other couple was killed. Yeah. Because otherwise we'd be like, how are they? Yeah. yeah. You know. But they bust in and find Kelly riding Shane like a roller coaster <laughs> and <laughs> swinging her shirt around her head like Petey Pablo. Now, <laughs> a lot of kids won't get that reference, but I don't care. <laughs> I don't think anybody but Petey Pablo got right. that. He's like, thanks, Podmortem. <laughs> But the guys remark that this definitely is not her first time at full volume. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Mind you. And after a few moments, Kelly notices them in the doorway and screams for them to get out. They bail down the stairs into the kitchen where the guys once again state that there's no way that Kelly's a virgin and that Leslie's going to (laughs) be pissed. Well, at this point, you're like, oh, shit, he was wrong. Yeah. After all that planning. Yeah. And when you think about it, they asked him in the van when they were... like on their stakeout the first time with Kelly, they're like, and she's a virgin. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course. It's like, well, how do you even know? Yeah. But the lights go out in the kitchen and Todd says the jock is about to get killed in the cellar. Kelly comes downstairs and asks who they are and why they keep following her. I forgot they saw her at the diner. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I know you guys, <laughs> but they say there's no time to explain and rush her into the living room with the stoners with everyone in the living room now taylor tells them how meticulously leslie planned the evening and that he's gonna kill them all kelly realizes that lauren and pete aren't there and when the lights come back on we hear lauren scream this is when taylor realizes it's too late for pete lauren runs upstairs saying a man with a mask killed pete and taylor says things are about to get a lot worse for them can't we talk about this in the van oh yeah Yeah. (laughs) why are we still in the house if you know leslie's in the basement (laughs) let's just go now (laughs) we have a window yeah we can talk about it while we're driving home (laughs) but we then see the shot that we saw of leslie earlier skulking outside in the darkness in front of the house i like that they're reusing shots because it's like these are things that are going according to plan yes yeah But inside the house, Taylor explains that the scare when Kelly was taking out the trash at the diner and the whole library kerfuffle were both Leslie Vernon. 
Kelly is in denial, but Taylor tells her to look outside where we... <laughs> <laughs> we see <laughs> Leslie just striking a Jesus Christ yeah. pose. <laughs> and it's the pose for me. He's like, eh? <laughs> <laughs> but this causes everyone to scream and Kelly faints. And so they lie here on the couch. Seeing things are going a little too swimmingly for Leslie, they realize they have to fuck up his plan somehow. Taylor says discovering the bodies upstairs will get the kids to rush out of the house sooner than Leslie planned. So they rush the stoners upstairs. They're like, hey, we got, we got to show you something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But as they're leaving, Leslie scrapes his scythe against the window. He's like, I'm still here. I'm still here. Yeah. <laughs> but when they get upstairs, they realize the bodies aren't there. The stoners bail and the crew realizes that they don't know his plan anymore. Downstairs, Kelly wakes up and Shane tries to convince her that this is all probably a joke. He goes to call the missing couple only to realize that he has no cell phone service. The crew realizes that the plan is changing to account for the fact that he knows they're in the house now. When the crew realizes the stoners are stumbling off to the shed and it's going to get them both killed, they're like, fuck, and they yeah. run downstairs. I'm like, are they on tranquilizers? Like, These stoners? I, like, yeah. what? This I, is more than stoned. Uh, I, and I get the movie and all that, but yeah. can we please stop doing that? Like, they're high. I guess they're we're, not, yes. you know we're really I mean? leaning into the tropes. Yeah. Yes. But we see those stoners heading for the shed, spouting off nonsensical bullshit. <laughs> Stone guy heads in alone, finding Leslie, but confusing him for a scarecrow. <laughs> he closes the door behind him. He does. Him. I don't. <laughs> Horror tropes, people. Leslie decides to try one on for Scythe and <laughs> kills him instantly. Slightly more stoned guy opens the door, impatient, only for stone guy's body to fall out. Leslie stands behind him with the post hole digger. The crew arrives just in time to watch Leslie pull slightly more stone guy's heart out of his chest with the digger and place it into his hand. They rush back inside to Kelly. <laughs> That's an interesting kill. Yeah. It was. I've never seen anything like that. No. I love that the dude looked at it and was like, is that my fucking heart? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I'm dead. <laughs> but inside, in a very funny line, Shane reveals that all the tires to all their cars have been slashed. <laughs> And Doug and Todd are distraught at the fact that Kelly isn't, in fact, Survivor Girl material. As Leslie slinks around outside, Taylor tries to find a hole in his plan by figuring out what comes next. They realize that their van was not part of the plan, so if they head to it, it won't be sabotaged. Once they reach the van outside, though, they find the bodies of that first couple wrapped in a blanket, dead. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, at this point, you're like, wait, he did... Factor yeah. in the van. Yeah, that's when I'm like, wait Hold a minute. Hold on. Hold, Hold the, the phone. phone. <laughs> <laughs> Fun fact again, indie filmmaking, the guy, the dead guy in the couple. Right. He was, in fact, the caterer for the film. <laughs> <laughs> but Todd pulls the bodies out and tries to start the van to no avail. They rush back to the house, realizing that their best plan is to stick together on the second floor and protect Kelly. So it was their spark plugs that he took, right? right? Yeah. And like that's it's, genius. He literally showed it to them. Taylor was right. He Amazing. Is a genius. Yes. But Taylor basically tells Kelly to woman up and live up to this survivor girl role that Leslie's counting on. Kelly's like, what? <laughs> but Taylor says that if Leslie has figured out that Kelly isn't what he thought she was, he'll just kill them all and have no witnesses. Just then there's a noise at the door. So the crew goes to block it. Kelly smashes the window with a chair and, <laughs> 
<laughs> and against the crew's protest, tries to climb onto a branch that Leslie has already Pre-cut. sabotaged. Yep. Yes, exactly. And so she falls to her death from the second floor. Leslie sees her body and looks up at the window, the group realizing that the jig is up. Yeah. yeah. They rush outside and run for the barn with Leslie on their tail. Todd runs off alone, antagonizing Leslie, reminding him of rule number one, no one gets away. He says, come on, you physical specimen. (laughs) (laughs) He's still complimenting him. (laughs) It's funny because Doug thinks that he's just being selfish, but he's being selfless. And so he runs right into the sludge of the muddy ground of the field. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting because they said that the ground would be muddy with blood, but I guess, you know, it might just be mud. (laughs) Muddy with mud. (laughs) Exactly. But Todd falls down, which allows Leslie to catch up to him. As Leslie goes to kill him, Todd takes off his mask, reminding him that they were in this together. He's like, it's me. It's Todd. Yeah. And Leslie does not falter. No, he's in in his mode. Yes. I mean, he told him. Yeah. Point of no return. There is kind of a moment of hesitation, I guess. I think it's more Leslie being mad that he has to do this. Yeah, because they do make comments like like you said, we don't see them till about a, an hour into the movie. Mm-hmm. But you do hear them comment on. Yes. And they're both like Team Leslie yeah. the whole oh, yeah. They're both into it. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, <laughs> Leslie breaks his neck. <laughs> <laughs> In the barn, Lauren and Shane head up the ladder safely, which goes against Leslie's original plan. Taylor and Doug follow them up, looking out the window that she and Leslie sat at hours before. Doug reminds her that it's her fault and that they could have just driven away. And he's right. He is. But then Lauren and Shane are like, you were just going to leave us to get killed? And they're like, how long have you been following us? (laughs) That's not what we're talking about right now. (laughs) But it suddenly hits Taylor. Leslie knew the whole time before everything. It's why he agreed to everything. Taylor is Leslie's Survivor Girl. Fucking fantastic yeah. twist. I love it. Yes. It's very funny to me because Shane's like, it's you. You're the virgin. I'm like, you could have said Survivor <laughs> <Yeah>. Girl. <laughs> I don't think that was necessary. You could have said anything else. Anything at all. But Lauren begs Taylor to tell her what happens to her. And it's like, she's a Survivor Girl, not the psychic girl. Right. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I'm seeing no. But they hear a noise and rush off. Doug grabs a shovel to defend himself and we see the barn door slide open, but it's Doc Halloran, who is immediately greeted with that newly found shovel to the face, knocking him <laughs> yeah. completely uh. out. Lauren rushes back up the ladder, only to be snatched up and killed by Leslie, so the plan is starting to come back together for him. Despite the slashing sounds, Shane heads up too. <laughs> I don't know why he did that. but It's probably fine. Yeah, it was something else. But he promptly gets the fuck beaten out of him. Leslie hangs Shane, but is pulled down in the process, appearing knocked out on the ground. Doug and Taylor try to move some hay bells that are blocking an exit, only for Leslie to rise up in the background exactly like Michael Myers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The blocking of the scene and the framing of the shot is exactly the same as that scene in Halloween. That's yeah. so cool. It's just perfect. But when the bales are removed, they find the stoner's corpses here. Leslie raises his scythe behind Taylor, but he's stopped by Halloran. Taylor and Doug use this struggle as a distraction to make a break for it. They see their exit is blocked off by sharp tools, and unfortunately, Leslie makes short work of Halloran, plunging the scythe into his shoulder. One scythe fits all. (laughs) (laughs) 
it ended so fast. Yeah. I think that was one of my major complaints. Yeah. Is I want to see Halloran and Leslie. This is the good versus evil. Right, yes. right. You know, this is the pinnacle or exactly. supposed to be. And it's just like, oh shit. I want, I want a monologue. <laughs> yeah. You know, instead he's just, well, he caresses his face on the way down. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's some character there. I don't know. <laughs> But Leslie switches his focus back to Taylor, but Doug blocks the way. He says that he loves Taylor and Leslie will have to go through him. So Leslie does just that and knocks him right out. He, he tried. <laughs> he yeah. did. Taylor takes the super fun happy slide out of the barn <laughs> and runs for the shed to arm herself. When she opens the door, Todd's body falls out and she apologizes to him, like, you know, for getting him killed. Yeah. Right. <laughs> But she grabs an axe and heads for the apple orchard. But you've been told that these weapons don't work. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess it w- you get one shot, I guess. Yeah. She's like, make it count. Yeah, better than no <laughs> shot. So she shouts out to Leslie through the trees and the fog that it's just him and her now. She unzips her jacket, throwing it off, fully transforming into the survivor girl archetype. And her uh, braids are gone that she's had in her hair all night. Well, braids. I don't <laughs> know. I don't know what braids. Her braids ran away too. Yeah. <laughs> Leslie killed her braids as well. <laughs> but she says, come get some, which isn't that fucking... I mean, it's tropey, but right. it fits here. I guess. I'm like, are you Duke Nukem yeah, or what? I don't know. <laughs> Did Ash say that too, or am I wrong? Sounds like an Ash thing yeah. to say. Yeah, he's also very tropey. <laughs> <laughs> but she's also wearing a tank top like Ellen Ripley. Mm-hmm. But a game of cat and mouse ensues through the trees with Taylor getting one good swing at Leslie before the sabotaged axe breaks. Mm -hmm. Turning her attention away for a moment, Leslie just flat out disappears and (laughs) she rushes for the building that has the cider press inside and goes in. We get a shot from Leslie's point of view as he heads inside and scans the area for her. I thought of Halloween. Yeah. And Black Christmas. Right. But out of nowhere, an anchor fucking swings and hits him. The two struggle on the ground with Leslie getting the upper hand, strangling her. The mask, though, makes him look like he really doesn't give a fuck. (laughs) (laughs) It's a living. (laughs) Like, for real. (laughs) But Taylor is able to reach for his scythe, stabbing him in the chest with it. She throws him underneath the cider press, crushing his head with it. So someone is going to get hurt. (laughs) Yeah. And that was some good foreshadowing Uh with the... (laughs) almost said apple smasher. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it is. Cider yeah, press. Yeah. Sterile. <laughs> <laughs> but he tells her he knew she was the one. And as he takes off his mask, she delivers the final crunch. She douses gasoline all over the structure and sets it ablaze. She heads outside, screaming and crying in a very dramatic display. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> she even falls to her knees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the music swells and the barn burns. She's then jump scared by Todd and Halloran, who are still alive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was surprised because it looked like yeah. Halloran was murdered. Yeah, especially after that embrace. Yeah. He's like, good night, sweet prince. And then he fucking dies. But no, he's fine. He's here. Yeah. But Doug holds Taylor closed and he's like, is he? And Taylor says she doesn't know what he is. Yeah. Halloran says, just a man. He's just a man. It's like, very good. (laughs) (laughs) This is, I feel like, their boogeyman moment. Yeah. Yeah. But we get one final shot of the burning barn and the credits roll. Now, in my favorite 
mid credit sequence of all time. I know, <laughs> I know Marvel does them a lot, but let's just say this one is far better than most. Psycho Killer by Talking Heads plays as we watch black and white footage of Leslie's body arriving at the morgue. The coroner wheels the cart in, removing the sheet to reveal Leslie's charred body. The coroner, wearing headphones, goes over to look at the paperwork while behind him, Leslie Vernon rises again. He lives. Yes. <laughs> the fire retardant makeup. Exactly. Yeah. It's all set and up. And him slowing his breathing like right, Eugene. Right. Mm-hmm. It's it's just so good. It's genius. Now, I do want to point out, according to horrornews.net, it took over a year and a half to clear the rights to use Psycho Killer. Damn. Why? I'm glad it's, they did, though, because it's perfect. They said that apparently it really is perfect. They said that whenever you're trying to get a song for a small film like this, right. it's much easier if like Apple's like, hey, we want to use Psycho Killer, which I don't know of why co- they would. <laughs> <laughs> but to have this small company saying, hey, can we use this for a film that you've never heard of? They take a long time to respond. But it's still a movie. It is. Yeah. It is. And also, apparently, Talking Heads and David Byrne and them, they really don't like people using their stuff. And so this is kind of a mini miracle that this happened, but it is perfect. Yeah, I'm yeah. glad it did. It is perfect. But what did you guys think of Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon? I, having watched this for the first time, I really like this movie. Yeah. My only problem is the last 30 minutes of it. And I, it, it wasn't the worst. Mm-hmm. But damn, that first hour was fantastic. (laughs) Like, it was so good. And then it just kind of fell apart for me at the end. I can understand that. The first hour is better. Yes. Just categorically better. Right. But I think, to me, I think they had no other choice, you know? I mean, I don't know how else they would have ended it, but... Yeah, the first the first yeah. one is definitely better. I think um, Dr. Wolfhula made a really good point in his video right? where he said that it's really because, you know, first of all, the front half or I guess two thirds of the film, Nathan Basil. Oh, yeah. Right. But in the last 30 minutes, he's the killer. Yeah. So you don't have that charisma. You don't have that, you know, he goes full psycho killer. And so the character that kind of drove and made you really love the first hour it's isn't gone. there anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's okay. a good thing I, to consider. Yeah. But I didn't mean to interrupt. Please continue. No, and that's a good point. But I, I agree. I don't. I wouldn't say that it fell apart for me in the last half hour, but it's definitely, I'm like, man, where, where's uh, Leslie at? Yeah. <laughs> I, and I think that's what it was because he kind of <laughs> reminded me of Country Mac. You know what I mean? Sean William Scott. Right. (laughs) Loud and proud, brother. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Loud and proud. (laughs) But, and I I guess, and that's exactly what it was. Yeah. You know, you love, I don't know about you, but I loved that character. Yeah, no, he's fantastic. And then the way it was, like, every, all the slashers were real, and Mm -hmm. then he's telling you what's going on, and you see everything behind the scenes, and you're on this ride with them. Mm -hmm. And then now it's like, oh, I was like, where'd he go? (laughs) That being said, I love the twist that's revealed. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, overall, I feel like the first hour is so fantastic that it's okay. Like, yeah. it, it no, saves yeah. the rest of it for me. I just think that the last 30 minutes are not only what they had to do, but I feel like it's really cool that they're like, look, 
we're a slasher flick now. Right. Yeah. Right. So here's all the tropes. Here's all the kind of turns it on its head. Exactly. Remember all the yeah. shit we're making fun of? Yeah, we're yeah. it now. Here you go. The corny one liners. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean I, I still I still love it. Uh but no, I agree with you. I think this movie is so smart, so hilarious. It is. Um but I do want to rate some satirical slashers very quickly. Mm. When we think <laughs> <laughs> when we think about satirical horror, we think of Scream behind the mask and we think of cabin in the woods how would you rank those three? Ooh, that's very difficult because i feel like yeah they all are satirical but they all do it in a different way right yeah no i agree with that that's hard what's yours i go scream behind the mask the cabin in the woods and the only reason is because i feel like the cabin in the woods kind of copied behind the masks homework a little bit i was yeah gonna, I, was, I, I can see that now yeah. yeah i was gonna say and that's in chronological order yeah so <laughs> oh, i no. feel like i'm gonna <laughs> yeah. agree with that uh i'll switch scream and behind the mask all right but so it would be behind the mask scream and then cabin in the woods that's but. fair i and it's funny to me because cabin in the woods gets compared to scream so often and they because just, nobody paid attention exactly, to them. Yeah. They, they just leave behind the mask out of the equation, and that's just so not fair. It's no, not. this movie was was a good time. Yes. <laughs> but I guess that leads us to ratings. I don't want to repeat everything that I said previously, but I think this film is so smart, so funny, so very clever. Yes. And is necessary viewing for any horror fan. Oh, yeah. The deconstruction of the slasher subgenre as well as the reverence for horror in general and the fucking easter eggs that are all over oh, the place yeah. yes for you for you listening yes you will for love us. it yes i just think that this is a film that cannot be overlooked or missed and i'm not getting paid to say this but it is on shutter right now <laughs> <laughs> and if you have shutter please go watch it because you i don't think you will be disappointed no no um, my only complaints, I think, for the film is I really, really wanted more of a showdown between Leslie and Halloran. I think that you have Robert England use, use Robert England. Oh, yeah. Right? Um, that's the only real complaint that I have. Even when things get a little campy and tropey at the end, those yeah. like last 30 minutes, I think that it fits because that's exactly what they have to do. Right. They're taking on the slasher tropes that they've been satirizing the whole time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But... I digress. On a scale of one to ten spooky orchard apples, <laughs> I'm going to give Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, 8.5 spooky orchard apples out of ten. And I will now open the floor to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I mean, I can't ask for more Leslie, but I am asking for more Leslie in the last half or the last third or mm-hmm. whatever i had the same complaint about halloran and leslie because it's like i think of um the the spoof of the shining that they did on treehouse of horror mm-hmm. when <laughs> willie comes to save them and then oh he's gone yeah. <laughs> that's literally what it felt like um so that i mean that's a i think my biggest complaint of the whole film mm-hmm but like you said, with the Easter eggs, it just made me feel very seen. Yeah. Like, the, like you guys did this for people like me, mm-hmm. you know, Nathan Basil. Man. I, I really can't say enough. Uh, This is a great, it's a great oh, movie. Yeah. But on a scale from one to 10 spooky orchard apples, I also gave 
Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, 8.5 Spooky Orchard Apples <laughs> out of 10 Spooky Orchard Apples. John Fantastic. Paul. I, like I said, I'd never seen this before or heard of it or anything. And um, I know, like I said, you had told me how good it was. Mm-hmm. And then a personal friend of mine, and he suggested the movie, Will Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, he had been telling me about the movie and I was like, well, I, I had told him, you know, I said, my brother-in-law had told me about it. I said, I'll check it out, whatever. And, mm-hmm. um, but this was great. This was a fantastic ride. Uh, yeah, the, the first hour is stronger than the last 30 minutes, but I, I see now why it had, like you were explaining why it had to be that way. Um, I would watch this again and oh, I yeah. would definitely recommend this to anyone. And uh, if you've never heard of it, like you said, it's on Shutter. Oh, please yeah. go watch and it. Prime. Oh, and yeah. oh, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess I'm sad? just. Yeah, well, <laughs> I guess I'm just more partial to Shutter. <laughs> for sure, for sure. So, on a scale from one to ten, spooky Orchard apples, <laughs> I'm gonna give Behind the Mask eight. Spooky Orchard Apples. I really liked the, <laughs> everything that they did mm-hmm. in the movie. Like you said, the little Easter eggs. Yeah. It was like mm-hmm. if you and you do if you close your eyes or you look away, they're You'll gone. Miss it. Like that puzzle box. Yeah, Man. they're gone. I didn't even catch it. Yeah. <laughs> you will miss it. Yeah, you will miss but it. if you see them, it's like oh shit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like hey, there's something right there, <laughs> and. And it is. If you love horror movies and you watch this, you will catch all that. Mm-hmm. And you're like, like you said, that's for horror fans. Yeah. Because anybody who doesn't watch it and they're just watching it. It's like, whatever. You, yeah, you what won't, is that? Yeah, you yeah. won't notice it. <laughs> but loving horror and then watching it, you're like, hey, Shit. you know what I mean? It's like when you see one of your friends you haven't exactly. seen in a long time. <laughs> yeah. It's like, hey, what's up, man? Well, thank you, Will, for finally getting him to watch it. Yes. And I'm so glad because, again, we've said this many times on this show. We've said it on Talk Mortem. You are so hard to predict (laughs) with how you're going to feel about films. Well, like I said, what really got me was when they did, when they were like, these are real, you know, real incidents that have happened. Right, the killers. I was like, yes, there we go. (laughs) Let's see where this goes. Oh, Yeah. yeah. And it did. And it was wonderful. I think uh, one thing that I really want to touch on very quickly is that for the last, I guess, maybe 14 years now, Uh they've been talking about a sequel, a prequel, something. Oh. Well, that ending really set up for a sequel. And I will be first in line. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. To see whatever the fuck is planned. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's all from us at Podmortem. What would you rate behind the mask, the rise of Leslie Vernon, and what should we watch next? Let us know on Twitter at the Podmortem. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook. Be sure to follow each of us on Twitter at TravisMWH, at Blood and Smoke, and at RealStreeter84. Please consider pledging to our Patreon and stay tuned until after the music for a special thank you to our Wendigo Getter patrons. And remember, insider access isn't free. Sometimes it might just cost you your life. Until next time. Thank you for staying tuned. We want to give a very special thank you to all of our Windigo Getter patrons. Woo! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a party. Was the shoulder shimmy. <laughs> they can't even see me. No, that was just for us in the room, I guess. I don't know. Very special thank you to Chris Ontiveros, Kristen Lofton, 
Megan Martinez, Kimberly Bass, Melanie Van Huston, Sophie Hodson, Anthony Jerome M., Jordan Nash, Kent and Allison Morton, Guy54, Lala Thomas, Travis and Nisa Hunter, Miguel Myers ATX, Mandy, Jennifer Perez, Pierre Lombard, Jacob Tyler, and Carissa. Thank you all so much. Thank you so yes, much. Thank you. Thank you. We sincerely love having all of you here with us, and we hope you don't run away like a motherfucker. <laughs> no one gets away. That's that was, rule number yeah. one. They said that in the film. Yeah, they yeah. did. That was rule, as you said, number one. One. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time. <laughs>